Every once in a while in a career, you will run into somebody who you just really feel connected with. And that was the that was the case with me with Maggie. She was hosting one of Teresa Richer's big seminars, and I was one of the guest speakers there. And I reached back to her later and said, hey, would you like to be a guest on the podcast? And she said, absolutely. So here we are ready to welcome Maggie. And welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today's episode is part of the SLP Spotlight series where I talk with SLPs in a variety of SLP positions and settings, doing things that we knew SLPs did, but also working in areas that we've never thought or heard of SLPs working in. It is amazing the opportunities these SLPs have taken and where their careers have gone. This is storytelling time. Welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. We are here with Maggie, and Maggie and I go back a ways, and we're kind of, just before we press the record button, we were just trying to remember how far back we go and how we met. So it's so interesting, the people that come to the podcast. Either way, Maggie, I'm happy, happy, happy you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, yeah, we went back, I believe, I almost want to say in 2019, when... um the uncensored, I believe, mm-hmm. was doing their summit, and you were yes. presenting, and I were. Pre- I believe you and I were both presenting on the same day. Yes, and then with that, we had the opportunity to kind of connect in relation to what your passion has been and your impact on the speech pathology um, field has been with your podcast. So I think that even way back then, we connected in that way, and we're finally able to sit down and discuss. Yes, I remember you. I before we press record, I just was saying I remember you being so much older. Um, that's a, I guess that's a good thing because I really connect with SLPs across the variety of our lifespan, our, our career span, I should say. But I do remember when you were you were hosting like the summit, and I'm like, oh wow, she's just so maybe that's why because you were just like so calm and okay. Here we go. <laughs> I'm like, oh. I'm <laughs> Yeah, I'm coming off of a, I'm actually, you're also catching me too on the tail end of a two week vacation. So I think I'm a little bit, a um, little bit, maybe more relaxed in things um, in relation. And then also too, um, I got a nice light shining on my face. So it's always, you know, makes you look younger, <laughs> I guess. There you go. Well, and you caught when you when you uh, tapped into the the podcast. I'm madly looking for my um, for the Zoom recording. I'm looking for my mascara, like it really matters, right? Yeah, right. Well, yeah. But once again, you still just look lovely as always. So. <laughs> Thanks. Well, We're gonna have a good time today because we've got a bunch of really interesting questions outlined. Now, these questions come from students. I collect them um, through one of my courses. Um, at the beginning of the course, I'll say, "Hey." Each of you send me two questions. We're going to answer these. Um, just SLP, what do you have questions do you have about the field? So we've pulled some questions from there and also from students who have reached out via my Instagram at Fresh SLP. We just put a poll out. And so some of the store questions are coming from there. So we've got some neat questions. This is going to be fun. First, Maggie, tell us why you became a speech pathologist. Sure. So my journey of speech pathology actually didn't start out as if I wanted to be a speech language pathologist in the first place. Um, I was actually studying to be a dietitian major. 
uh, at a at Ohio University um, down in Athens, Ohio, and I was taking an organic chemistry class. And unfortunately, the class and I really didn't agree. So that led to my inability to pass that class at that time. But I had the <laughs> opportunity to then take it um, at Cleveland State, where I'm, I'm from the Cleveland area, um, take it at Cleveland State. And during that um, summer course, because I needed the credits in order to graduate, even if I was going to switch my major, I had a uh, mentor of mine down at OU actually told me like, hey, like, I think maybe it would be interesting if you could switch your major, because I think your passions might be better suited for a different um, technique, I guess, <laughs> or a different degree. So uh, coming back to the drawing board, I was able to call my father, who's actually a physical therapist mm -hmm. and has been for many years up in the Cleveland area. And I was talking to him and trying to troubleshoot some things. I was in my sophomore year. So I was like, hey, like, it's going to be a little bit of a difficult, you know, transition because I have to take core classes for some majors and so forth. And he said, why don't you look into speech pathology? Because speech pathology also works with people who eat. And I said, a what? <laughs> At what? that time, I had no... um oh, you work on speech? Right. Yes. I am. I am one of those who was like, excuse me. So that really opened up the door for me in order to use his network of people to have the opportunity to go and shadow Mike Stives at University Hospitals um, up in the Cleveland area here. And I saw and was able to see him at the bedside working with people. And then I saw a modified barium swallow study. And it was as if the lights of heaven were shining down and that certain situation that I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so I finished up my course at Cleveland State. I went back to OU, switched my major, took all of the summer prerequisite courses that I needed to do to finish up at that time. And I've been hooked ever since. Excellent. <laughs> We have a lot of students who listen to the podcast and that story right there. I would continue on and say, if you are a student looking, moving into the field and you're not, you don't have the experience of stepping into a medical setting, go find someone, go shadow, reach out to a hospital yeah. and say, reach out to the speech pathologist and say, I'm considering the field. Can I come and shadow you for a day and make sure you see a video swallow study? I am like you. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's boom, 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 boom. You're thinking on your feet. Okay, what do we do? How do we change this? How do we modify that? How do we improve their overall safety of intake? And I love it when I can talk with a radiologist and say, wow, when do you actually start timing of the premature spillage of, over the base of the tongue? You know what I mean? Love it. Excellent. Yeah, and even reaching out too, to even some private practices or some even some mobile fees or even mobile diagnostic um, mobile uh, yeah. modified barium swallow units to see, hey, can I, am I able to come with you? I know with like COVID and restrictions and, you know, transitioning into the era here that we are in, you know, the best thing you can do is, is actually reach out and ask because the best thing they're going to say is yes. And an opportunity is, is that they're going to say no. And then possibly even using their network to saying, okay, if you're not, you know, if you can't help me, do you know maybe of somebody who can't? I think out of like all the things when it comes to really figuring out like what you want to do and why you want to become a speech pathologist is, is to see who you already know that may already be connected with that field. 
maybe a second cousin could be a radiologist, you know, or maybe your parent's friend actually happened to be a speech language pathologist and that never even came up in conversation. You know, try to use your network. Just like I was explaining too, you know, I used my father, I had, I have had the opportunity to have a strong, <laughs> strong relationship with my dad. And he has a large network of medical huh. professionals that has really allowed me to use that appropriately to get um, knowledge, to gain another connection. Well, when I've had colleagues who have had a child, um, actually a physical therapist, she said, my daughter's interested in your field. Can she come observe you? Because she's thinking of physical therapy, occupational therapy. No, I'm sorry, occupational or speech. So the daughter arrives and I'm like, oh, look at all the wonderful things we do. You know, we work with peds, we work with adults, we do this, we do that. So, you know, if you, if, when you connect with somebody and you say, can I come? And they say, absolutely. They are excited to show you what they do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do know that um, with graduate schools, graduate schools across the nation are having to be creative on where they place their students for clinicals. So as an undergraduate or even a graduate, if you reach out to a practicing clinician and say, can I come and observe you? That may open the door for some uh, clinical practical time, clinical practicum time. Exactly, exactly. The best thing to do actually is, is to take that leap and actually ask the questions. Sometimes a lot of people are like, oh, like I, I'm not sure what they're going to say. And it's sometimes you actually just have to, they're going to say what they're going to say, but at least you asked. Have you heard of my uh, the rejection challenge that I do? Well, there's this really, it's not my idea. There's this really good TED talk out there and um, I don't remember his name, but it's on the Fresh SLP website, the rejection challenge. And it's the YouTube link is in there, or the, this TED talk speakers in there. And he said, you know, I was noticing that I, when I went and asked for something and I was rejected, my, my posture changed, my voice dropped, my language changed. And I, I looked dejected. And he said, and I took it personally, he said, we don't need to do that when we're rejected. They don't know us. They're not saying, oh, we don't like you. We're not going to give this to you or we're not going to, you know, whatever you've asked for. So he took on these little steps, these little baby steps. And he learned that when he asked for a refill on a pop, when he wasn't sure if refills are allowed or not, you know, he was, okay, well, you know, thanks anyways. And he learned how to handle the rejection. And I tell you, with the podcasts and the fresh SLP work and all of these things I've done, I've asked for some really big asks for some from, from some really big speech pathologists and I get them. And I never would have been brave enough to do those until I had done that rejection challenge and learned it's not me they're rejecting. It's they can't do it for whatever reason, you know? And so it's the same with asking for those things. Ask. It's not personal if they turn you down. Exactly. And that's how you advance a career. Because that's another question. How do you advance a medical SLP career? Well, you ask. You work for it. You make you those connections. Yeah. You you put in the work. Like that's mm -hmm. the other thing too is. And a lot of people who are in, especially within our realm of the field and so forth too, even currently within um, social media or research base or even publication so forth on podcasts such as yourself who are leading kind of the way to really give even more of a stronger foundation is, is you had, you had to put in the work, you had to trust yourself. You had to get into sometimes those un, you know, uncomfortable situations. And one, like you just said too, 
you learn to adapt, to shift, to grow from the situation, to continue down the path that you would like to go on. Yeah. That's the same thing. I've I've had, too. Right. I've had undergraduates come to me. Um, Abby Earl is one of them. People can go back and she brought a friend on the show and they just reached out and they said, Hey, we're undergraduates. We have a ton of questions. Can we be on your podcast? Yeah. You know, <laughs> a few people who ask and, and that's, yeah. Um, I don't think I've turned, I had one person who came from what they weren't a speech pathologist. And I've had people on here who are not speech pathologists, but ask, ask, ask. What settings have you worked in, Maggie? Sure. So the different kinds of settings that I have worked in is almost, almost all of where actually I think all of them now, technically, except for um, a NICU. I've never worked in a NICU I, or um, pediatric swallowing kinds of things. Um, I've had the opportunity to work in LTACs, acute, subacute, um, and I'm now currently actually even in my own private practice, which is allowing me to like learn and grow like the business sides of things, as well as continue on with the treatment aspects and evaluation aspects that I do enjoy. So I've worked in quite a few different locations and it's, it has been a wonderful journey. Um, I think a question sometimes that people have is like, how, how did you choose medical or how did you choose adult? I will say that in my undergraduate, I do have a minor in gerontology. So I've always been connected a little bit with that patient population. I was also and have been exposed through my father through working in um, skilled nursing facilities um, in regards to that. As I stated before, that he is a physical therapist. So even growing up, I used to go to the nursing homes and kind of walk through there at that time during like Halloween and stuff. So that was always an experience, but, um, it was, it, it was a great exposure that I had as a child. And then in, um, graduate school, I did have the opportunity to work at Waterville elementary in the Anthony Wayne district, uh, which is like kind of close to Toledo, um, through a connection through Bowling Green state university that I did my master's program with, And from there, I really had a strong mentor who allowed me to see and really um, helped me grow in the pediatric realm. But I just didn't have as much of that spark, that connection, that hardcore pull of wanting to work with that patient population. But from um, the graduate level side that you kind of flip some, a lot of graduate schools do do like a pediatric placement or child school placement and then a medical placement. Within my medical placement, I had a really unique opportunity to not only work in a skilled nursing facility with Cheryl Gressler, she worked at the Elyria Methodist home. Um, and then I also worked with Mary Stofieri who actually worked at Elyria hospital. So I not only saw a, um, skilled nursing facility, but I was also working in a hospital during my externship, which then even allowed me further to connect to even other strong mentors, such as like Jackie Workman, who worked at Kendall, and then Carrie Stant, who is a very skilled speech language pathologist that works with the select specialty hospital LTACs um, within Ohio here. And then also to Mary Stofieri actually has transitioned into more of a corporate realm and relation. So I've had a lot of really good foundational knowledge and a lot of exposure 
to the passion that I have that really kind of pulls me, you know, it kind of, it's not necessarily that it wakes me up and wants me to go to like work per se, but I have the drive to want to do, to walk through the door and actually help someone. I want to go to work every day and basically give it my all and then leave it as soon as I'm done. Like as soon as it's time for me to go, I do the best that I can to bless and release the day. I've done everything that I can and then continue on with other passionate things that I have, such as being the director of operations for the dysphagia outreach project, being one of the facilitators for the dysphagia digest of Florida, which is a uh, swallowing support group for individuals with dysphagia. So I've kind of been pulled in relation to those things because of a really strong foundational um, upbringing, I guess, uh, of development through the medical side of SLP. Not all students have that opportunity. What advice do you have for the student who does not have that that foundation from the beginning or he or she doesn't see it? Sure. So especially when it comes, I have been very fortunate. Um, I kind of think I've been in the unicorn of situations where I've had the opportunity to be connected. So for those individuals that don't have that, you might, it just might be difficult to see. That's why once again, too, coming back to what we've already kind of been discussing, reach out to speech language pathologists, email the big, email the speech path. If you can find their email, if you can call their office and say, Hey, I'm interested in doing these things. Or, you know, do you have any recommendations for me? You know, another recommendation would be outside of just reaching out in your area is, is to look outside of your area. I know that sometimes, um, I know in my CFY, like some advice that I probably would have given myself is, is to actually move, you know, not everything is in per se, the location you're in. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you do have to make that effort to either move to a different city, drive a little bit farther. You know, if you, if you, if you have that opportunity to do so, to seek out what you're looking for or, um, to even to take the CEU courses. Um, I know I've had the opportunity to take quite a few um, CEU courses. And still to this day, I find it that knowledge is so powerful in shaping who you are, but also to how you apply research-based treatment and evaluation on our patients. Right. You have to stay on top of it. And even if you don't get that CEU credit, even if you don't, uh, maybe you have the certification, but maybe it doesn't show up on your ASHA transcripts or your state transcripts, you took that for the knowledge, not mm-hmm. necessarily to meet that requirement. Mm-hmm. And that drive is important because that's what's also going to keep you in that hunger of wanting to continue to do the best for yourself as a professional, but also to continue to provide that once again, that high quality care that your patients are wanting. So sometimes you do have to kind of put that work in. Sometimes you will have to be frustrated that you don't have that. Okay. Frustration. It's there. It's part of life. So let's grow from it. Can I, can I reach out? Can I really kind of move to certain locations? Can I um, continue to just keep reaching out and reaching out and reaching out? Um, sometimes too, I've, I've heard that people have had situations in the past where they reach out to a job and they don't get the job. However, six months to a year later, that job is still posted or came up again and they apply again and then they get in. You know, continuing to keep going back sometimes to certain things can some can maybe your path. 
or maybe even to being open to new things. Um, recently, especially working with uh, the Dysphagia Outreach Project, learning a little bit more about the intensity of uh, pediatric dysphagia and seeing what families are going through, seeing what um, even the children are going through too, has kind of led to a little bit of a um, calling that I'm kind of still stifling because I got so much things going on. I (laughs) I wanted to get down in there, but I'm like, no, no, I've just got too much stuff. Let's focus on this to then maybe transition to that. So, but those kinds of things too, being open to that, being aware, you know, reaching out to Casey Lewis, who's very strong in the NICU, um, in the NICU, uh, field and her passion towards high quality care, um, reaching out to, um, Sarah Vacha, who happens to be, um, a really strong fees, uh, as well as a private practice owner. Yeah. She's been a guest on here. Yes. Yeah. So she's also very strong too, you know, being open to other ideas that maybe you thought you were going to go down, but being aware and present for the journey that you may need to be going towards. So be open to those opportunities, even if they're not necessarily the ideal, right? But just at least look into them. Also look to, um, your state associations. I am the, um, I'm in Minnesota. So I'm the, I, um, and the sitting person for the Future Professionals Committee Advisor. And we regularly have students in Fresh SLPs reach out to us for mentoring. ASHA has a mentoring program. Yes. Um, there's a fantastic STEP program out there. I mean, there's some very good programs out there. And also do um, vision boarding and road mapping. And I know those are kind of like foo-foo sky in the sky. Ooh, I'm in a vision board. But when I have worked through the coaching side of Fresh SLP and I have speech pathologists who are like, I'm like, okay, what do you want to do with your career? What do you want to do with your life? They're like, oh, you know, okay. And they they first start off the, the list of things they want to do, kind of tentative, but then they create these great visions. This is where I want to do. This is who I want to treat. This is what I get excited to go to work for. And at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, that was, this was, this is the difference I made in the life of somebody. And then they put a roadmap together. Here's the courses I'm going to take. Here's the people I'm going to reach out to. And it is so amazing and, and just incredible to watch them. Wow. I never thought I'd do these things. I never thought I could, I could, and it's because they've dreamed, they've written, they've, made those connections and they've moved forward. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I had the opportunity to do that back actually in 2019. I was part of the medical SLP collective um, Mm -hmm. inner circle and I invested in myself in order to really learn those skills Mm -hmm. and really help sharpen the vision that I had for myself. Mm -hmm. And absolutely it it has made uh, ridiculous impacts on where I was back then to where I am right now. Yes. Yes. Ridiculous impact. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's, uh, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Some of the, the gains that speech pathologists are, you know, when you're focused, when you know and, and clarify what you want to do, lay that foundation, gather that skill set, and then step into that. It's pretty amazing. Absolutely. Did you ever have an interview that went badly? <laughs> you know, what is the definition of badly? Um, right. 
but I have had multiple interviews because of the multiple settings that I have had the opportunity to work in. Um, what comes to mind in relation to that is, is I, I feel as though that I was being, I was told once that I was eccentric hmm. in an interview or after an interview, um, when I was actually trying to apply for a major hospital in the, uh, Columbus, Ohio area, uh, prior way, way mm-hmm. long ago, it seems like I actually had to call my husband and be like, when was I called that again? <laughs> so, but that has kind of stuck with me because what I've done is, is that I figured I have determined that, you know, being eccentric kind of makes you unique. Yes. I am my own person. Um, and I have found that it, it is more of, it can be displayed badly, I guess, if you're, you know, doing things like physically like doing things, but I took it more as a compliment that I do think outside the box as a professional. Um, I have had the opportunity to, to really see and kind of not necessarily hundred percent stay in the lines of the constant every day. You know, you do a, then B, then C, I kind of sort of meld them all together kind of not necessarily jumble them up, but I try to, when I approach a patient or approach a situation, I really try to kind of step back and then project with possibly all of the opportunities or all of the outcomes that may or may not happen. And that level of eccentricness has allowed me to position myself and kind of be be known in the settings that I work at that if I don't know the answer, maybe Maggie does. Or you know what, or if I seem to, I, I want to kind of talk this out with somebody, she would be a great person to talk out because of my listening skills, because of my ability to kind of hear what somebody is saying and kind of, you know, maybe give, oh, have you considered this? Or mm, I like where you're going with that. Where else can you take that kind of a discussion that I have with among my colleagues? So it's, it's, I find that that um, compliment that I got so many years ago, um, I still use to this day. And that's really kind of part of who I am as a person and then as well as a medical speech language pathologist. Lesson there is you are being you. And yeah. so when you applied for the job and they said you're eccentric, you had two choices you can say, oh, that's a bad thing. I'm not going to be eccentric and I'm going to be more cookie cutter. Or you can say, oh, thanks for the compliment. Here's where I'm going to go find a place to shine. Yeah. So one of the questions I get from students is, hey, professor, how do I how do I be like this, this speech pass I see on YouTube? And I'm like, don't. Be you. Learn the skills that you may be learning on remediation of an R, because that was where the particular question came from. But go be you and be you in those interviews. And if you're not called back or off with the position, it's because it wasn't a good fit. Yeah. Or even to like expanding upon that idea as well. Well, what about that person do you enjoy? You know, what is it? Is it the fact that they they knew the, the way to um, rehabilitate, to shape that patient? Is there is there something that you like? Did you like the way that they were? on the ground with the patient rather than sitting in a chair and bending down. You know, what about those characteristics that do you enjoy that possibly you can reflect upon yourself? I have those characteristics. Mm -hmm. I maybe need to continue to shape and mold how to maybe bring them out more Mm -hmm. or maybe how to also um, apply those skills that I do have to model something similar that you do enjoy. I've always... With the mentorship that I've had in things, I've always enjoyed 
um, the speech language pathologists I've been exposed to have always been very happy. And I mean the happiest people of my life. They are always smiling when they come to work, even if it's a difficult day or a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. Now, they'll have their little vent sessions in the office and so forth. But as soon as that's done, they're happy-go-lucky walking back out there because they know that they are there to serve the people that they have been hired to serve. They know that they are doing the, the highest quality of care possible because of all the knowledge that they've gained and have um, had the opportunity to be exposed to. That's something too that has always been impressed upon me. Doesn't matter the difficult situation that you're in, you gotta stay calm, collected, understand what's going on and try to see if you can either find the solution yourself or reach out to the people that may actually know the solution. Mm -hmm. or collaborate with others. That's been a big exposure too that I've seen throughout my professional career that has really, I've always wanted to embody. How can I be more pleasant at work? How can I um, be more approachable at work? I know with the mask and things like that, it's been a little difficult, but I have been told that I have a pretty strong RBF. So, <laughs> so oh. the math has kind of helped. Yeah. The math <laughs> has kind of helped in relation to that. But I always have remembered too from um, being on a dance team, even is to try to smile with your eyes. Oh, your eyes. So, <laughs> things. so those kinds of things have, have definitely been impressed upon me. So sometimes too, even searching through, you know, what do you like about a particular speech pathologist that you want to embody? You know, you don't have to be them because you are, will never be them because you are you, but what techniques or what kinds of things do you enjoy that you maybe want to bring into your practice or what passions do they have that you're like, Oh, how can I get maybe to, or, or, um, kind of gain that skill? What do I need to do in order to get there? When I was stepping more into the pediatric realm, um, I was working with another colleague and I called her Mary Poppins. She had such a way with the, the little kiddos and we were doing fe pediatric feeding and I'm like, oh, I love the way she does this. I'm gonna emulate that a little bit more. And so we do go along in our careers picking up just breadcrumbs or you know, colors or, how, or whatever analogy you wanna use. I bought this great plaque the other day. It's um, life is like, like a box of crayons you want to use every color in the box. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I just loved it. And, and that's some kind of the way our careers are. We want to be being the best that we can, bringing in all of the things that do make us uniquely you. So Maggie, those are some excellent points. We're going to ask one more question and then we're going to stop this podcast recording and we're going to welcome you and everybody back for part two with Maggie. Well, Sound you. good? Sounds great. We have so many more questions to go through and, and yeah, I just want to spend the time. You're fantastic. Oh, thank you. What has you been a challenging situation for you in the medical field? So a challenging situation for me within the medical field is, is having a very strong foundation um, of, of speech language pathologists experience um, and kind of a uh, level, a, a standard of care. Um, to a certain realm, and then actually seeing the opposite of that, being mm -hmm. a part of the opposite of that. And that has challenged me professionally to 
navigate um, difficult situations. Um, if it be uh, different, different ideologies of care, um, if it be uh, not necessarily approaching a situation as if I was understanding that you were supposed to approach a situation and being open to at least the discussion and um, having the opportunity to be okay with how I do things. Um, coming back to the idea of being eccentric, you know, I, I do, I really try to keep my head down at work because I'm there for the patients. I'm there to also grow my clinical skills and continue to develop as a speech language pathologist. Um, I don't like to be the center of attention or the part of everybody's discussion, especially when I'm not present. Um, so those kinds of things I, I have really tried to not really want that. Once again, I don't want to be like ex externally eccentric in that way. Um, nor have I been <laughs> like it's, it has been challenging for me in order to grow from that. Um, I at times do get frustrated at work and that can affect, um, my work progress. So I have learned a little bit more about kind of actually physically blessing and releasing things. I got that from Teresa Richards, who is a, um, who is a, you know, obviously a, the speech language pathologist of the medical SLP collective, as well as her, um, Swallow Your Pride podcast. And she, um, really kind of helped me conceptualize really how to bless and release things, actually physically doing that. And that has really helped me grow as a professional that, I, I really do have to let that go. And once I actually let that go, I ha can't really think about that anymore. I've learned what I need to learn from it and I'm going to continue to move myself forward. So that has been kind of an interesting aspect of things, but I've also found that in discussions with my other colleagues uh, in the settings that I work, I, I do have had the, have had the opportunities to also inspire them to also feel strongly with how they want, how they would like to see things done and to advocate for themselves as much as they can. So that has been a nice um, transition in relation to my personal, my professional and personal development um, as a medical speech language pathologist. So I still strive to incorporate the research. I still strive and rely on the coursework that I've taken and the courseworks I will take in order to once again, really pivotly pinpoint how to impact that patient and that family that need my care. Excellent. This is a great place to stop and we will thank you for your time. And we were going to, we will welcome everybody back for part two with Maggie. Our next round of questions are going to be a bit more, um, what's the word reflective mm -hmm. uh, reminds me a little bit of what I take some of my students through, like um, what has been a most memorable patient for you? What words of advice would you give? So welcome back. Come find us for round two. I hope today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the missing link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. 
Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.